This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. Our Sugar Maple by Chad Brofman and Refrigerator Children by Erica D. Price. Our Sugar Maple, written and read by Chad Brofman. Listing time, three minutes. Our Sugar Maple. That autumn morning as we neared our tree, Grandpa stopped hard and pressed a meaty finger to my lips. A snowshoe here had taken refuge under our sugar maple, shaded like pistachios and apples. God's little creatures need heartening, too. Grandpa's voice was like gravel. Even his whispers were wieldy. I was nine, still unwilling to share. So while he watched the young Leverett frolic and scout, I pursed my lips, folded my arms, and pouted, forsaking the blessed gift. Eventually, the hare scampered on. One day, boy, you'll find peace in others' joy, Grandpa said. We strode to our precious tree and sat beside each other in the stillness. Her seeds had fallen early. They were crisp like toast. Grandpa swept some kernels into his hearty hands and flung them high. They rained down like tiny winged horseshoes. Then he said, A sugar maple seed carries partners, a boy and a girl. See? Every Sunday walk included lessons in nature, but I didn't mind. He continued, Through mighty gales and sweltering heat, they are bound together. And if they break apart, I asked. Grandpa called a samurai split it. Then it was meant to be, he said, and blew its parts into the wind. Sometimes, boy, the seedling flies higher alone. He died that spring. Welcome home, son, Ma dabbed at the grief on my face. The foliage is striking this year, she said. Grandpa and I's sugar maple stood more prodigious than I had ever remembered, her branches reaching out to me like a prayer. But there's such betrayal in my bride's eyes, I thought. The leaves crunched like paper under my feet. I perched beneath her. But suspicion is folly, and sinful too. For better or worse, I finally concluded. To the right, a silver hare peeked around a mossy stump, then continued grazing. I ambled away, but glimpsed over my shoulder to behold the elfin critter carousing under our tree. Enjoy, I grinned. The soul seedling danced in the solace, and my wife bedded down with her lover. 
Chad Brofman, poet and short story author, teaches English and creative writing at the secondary and post-secondary levels. His fiction has appeared in Wild Violet, Burning Wood, and Cafe Afra. As well, he earned honorable mention in the New Millennium Short Short Fiction Competition. He lives in northern Michigan and will begin his MFA at Spalding University this fall. Refrigerator Children, written and read by Erica D. Price. Listing time, 6 minutes, 14 seconds. Refrigerator Children by Erica D. Price. Before they had a child, they spent 18 months hashing out several of the endless dilemmas of parenting. They wanted to have an exhaustive discussion. Whatever wants to shave its head, the man said, or get a tattoo. The woman said, a child should be allowed to do what it wants with its body. At age six, seventeen, when? Whenever. Will we tell it about Santa? he asked, as they strode through the mall one rainy afternoon. Adults shouldn't hold secret knowledge over children, she said. The child should learn how to think for itself. But lying to it will teach it to doubt. The woman appreciated his thought. Will we give it a gender? the woman asked, on the phone with the man. She was walking past an army recruiter station. No the man said. Then, wait, we'll give it a very slight, very tenuous framework. We'll let it know it has a choice. A month later, when they were in a gas station, they saw a twenty-something boy buying two boxes of Lunchables and a carton of Marlboros. Is that some diet I haven't heard of? The woman asked the heir. The man nudged her and said, will we let our kid eat like that? She sneered. We will strongly discourage it. A child should have control over its own body, the man retorted. They crossed the parking lot. They wondered, what if the child hurt itself? What if it made unquestionably bad decisions? What if someone abuses it, the man said. What then? Depends on the age of the child, the woman said, lifting an eyebrow. At some point you have to let them go. What if it wants us to let go too early? Love is not insistent, the woman said. She said it like it was a chime, an incantation like it was the answer to everything. Love, love is a verb, the man sang, but she didn't seem to recognize the song, and his heart sank. They were friends with a couple that had just gotten pregnant, a daughter. The husband was tall and pale-haired. When I found out it was a girl, I'll tell you, the husband said conspiratorially to the man. I started cleaning my guns. The man's stomach churned. You're worrying about boys already? The husband squinted at a dusty television. I'm having nightmares already, man. You know how we are. Shit. I remember what I was like at seventeen, don't you? But nobody's laying a hand on my sweet girl. His wife walked through the room with a folded laundry basket, balanced on her spreading belly. The husband gave her ass a playful slap. Later, back home, the man asked, How will we teach our kids about sex? All the answers to everything it asks, the woman said. Right away. The woman sipped from a glass of water and mused, What if the child didn't want to go to college? We'll set up a trust fund and hold firm, the man answered. Speaking of which, how long will we financially support it? Long enough, but not too long, said the woman. The man had hoped her answer would be forever. One evening, a year into the discussion, they were sitting on a hill eating ice cream. If our child killed a person, the woman said, would you still love it? The man's tongue had gone numb, but he said, of course, I'd be in that prison every day visiting. I'd keep the kid's dispensary account full to the brim. I'd be the biggest, loudest, brashest prison reformer there ever was. 
and he nibbled on the woman's ear. She laughed and said he should not assume the child would end up in prison. I'd spring the kid out, or put him in hiding, fly them to Argentina, Antarctica. In bed, the woman's feet were freezing, and the man couldn't sleep. He wanted to ask, what if the child wanted to kill itself, or run away, to donate all its possessions and live in the woods, communing with possums? What if it starved itself to itty-bitty bones and called that beauty? What if it never thanked them? What if it never loved them back? What if they looked into their child's face and saw a runny-nosed, slack-jawed nothing, and the child looked at them and saw nothing back? Instead, he asked, What's the worst thing our child could be? Stupid, she said. No, unfree. Well, which is it? Unfree, uninteresting. The man pulled the comforter to his chin. It was now his turn to recite an incantation. It is better to be happy than to be interesting. He'd read it on a poster somewhere, maybe in a therapist's office. Maybe it had been a joke, but the saying had stayed with him, slunk into the portents of his mind and calcified. The woman said stuffily, I think we'll leave it for the child to decide that. They went to sleep. Eighteen months in, they had a fight at a friend's wedding shower. A day later, neither of them could remember what it had been about. But it was the end. The adoption papers were thrown in the fireplace. The birth control prescription renewed. The woman moved in with her sister, and the man put all his possessions in a small apartment with a view of the train yard. They felt drained in a way that flouted expression. Sometime later, the sister asked the woman why it hadn't worked out. She'd been privy to the endless, looping hypothetical discussions. It seemed to her the couple had everything figured out, or at least gamed out. It was too perfect, the woman said. We had all the answers. No real child could live up to it. She smoothed her hair and looked at her reflection in the window. The philosophical problems were all that ever interested me about it, really. Years after that, the man married a mechanic. He and the mechanic welcomed children into their home. They began with many ideals. No punishment. No criticism. No judgment. Never let the children see them fight. Give them snacks of whole wheat and fresh fruit. Use natural shampoos and teach them all to sew. Speak Spanish. Wrestle. And play fair. In time, all the ideals were harshly violated. The children grew and were corrupted, and were lost to them in various small ways. Some flourished in manners the man and the mechanic found contemptible. Some amounted to very little at all. Any flaws they saw in the children they blamed on themselves. That was what happened when you realized a dream. They cherished the fuck-ups like bubbles in hand-blown glass. Erica D. Price is a writer and social psychologist in Chicago. She is a Pushcart Prize nominee, and her novel, Corpus Callosum, is available for free in all ebook stores. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories. <laughs>